Hotch out, Galtier in. Or so it seems. This is Le Classique, and we are reflecting on yet another new PSG manager. So hi everyone, this is Tom and I'm joined as always by with Beppo. Beppo, how are things? All good, all good. Thanks, Tom. So we're doing obviously Le Classique, as the name suggests, is much more about kind of the history of French football, but we thought we'd do a quick, um, I guess, a kind of more reactive piece mm. to some of the news which is coming out. So Pochettino has left as manager of PSG. and, and or, is it, or is it in the process of leaving? I think. In the process still, of leaving. Yeah, they're still yeah. sorting out some paperwork. <laughs> I mean, all, all the signs are pointing towards Galtier being there next week. So we're recording this on Wednesday, the, the 29th of June. And I mean, it'd be pretty hilarious if it doesn't go through. And an, another story on the kind of the uh, mismanagements potentially at PSG. But it looks like this is this is going ahead. So we thought it'd be quite a good you know, way, particularly for our British audience, to find out a bit more about Galtier, the manager, and, and what we think about whether this is uh, sort of likely to to work. Is it a good appointment? I think the reaction in France has been a little bit, people have been maybe a bit underwhelmed by the choice, but I think we have oh. a kind of slightly more optimistic reading. Um, but anyway, should we, should we start actually with Geltier, the player that you don't hear about that much, but actually he had a fairly recent uh, career, mainly in French football, but also with some interesting kind of adventures and excursions abroad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I have to say, I don't remember him at all as a player, but that's partly because he played in the 80s, early 90s. And, you know, we weren't very old then um, or even alive. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but he and he some might say he had a relatively unremarkable career. But, you know, looking back, he was uh, a fullback, started started his career at Marseille. It wasn't this was pre Bernat Tapie. Marseille, so not necessarily the heavyweights that they then become in the late eighties. And actually, he left the he left the club the year after Tapi arrived. So it was really the start. He left at the start of the revolution, really. But mm -hmm. he still ended up carving out a good career in France, mostly in Liga from you know the ages when he started at Marseille to the age of about twenty nine or so, playing for. Uh, playing for Lille and then Toulouse uh, and then Angers, which was less successful as he moved down to Ligue 2. But then, interestingly, um, for someone who's not necessarily like, identified as a as a Marseillais in the way that the other contender for the PSG role, Zinedine Zidane, mm -hmm. is despite having never played there. <laughs> yeah. um, he came back to Marseille when they were in the in the second tier and helped them helped them get promoted and stabilized in. In Ligue 1 before, before then, uh, interestingly, heading out to, still young at sort of 30, what, 30, 31, heading out to Monza and then and then to China in sort of a groundbreaking, <laughs> groundbreaking low-key move. Um, so quite, you know, not someone who will forever be remembered as a great player. I think that's fair to say, but still somebody who, by the sounds of it, from our research was still you know an ever-present in in the sides he played for and was seen as a bit of a 
you know, a bit of a leader, someone you could count on, a reliable player. Um, and he had, you know, more than 200, 200 league game games. So yeah. definitely not negligible as a career, that's for sure. And and I'm, I need to add also eight caps for France on the 21 and won the 88 uh, on the 21 euros with the likes of Cantona, Stéphane Pay. You know, players like that. Those so, are, yeah, this this is the classic, right? So we have to mention <laughs> names when we go through it. I mean, a couple of things that stand out to me. Obviously, when he was sort of being linked with there was some talk around him around Tottenham. I don't think how I don't know how serious it was, but when he was being linked with some mm. jobs in England after his amazing success with Leo, one of the arguments that was used against it was. Uh, you know, his English isn't great, right? He's a very French coach. He's only really managed in the mm. French divisions. But I think there, you know, there are signs there with that eclectic choice of China at the end of his career that this is someone who's actually, it's maybe, yeah, more kind of uh, cosmopolitan, willing to work with foreign players, willing to sort of take chances to go, to go abroad than some of that maybe kind of easy narrative tries mm. to spin him as just like a kind of yeah uh, we don't have an expression for it right but like a the the french equivalent of a little englander you know someone who just mm. well, you, you can't you can't say he hasn't moved around and been in he hasn't always been in the same types of environment that's for sure i mean yeah. we mentioned the end of his career um even the start of his coaching career he starts off at as an assistant at Marseille in late 90s, he's 32. That's already a challenge. And it was in late 90s Marseille, which was in a complete mess. And that's is always, is always somewhat um, of a challenge. But it was sort of disintegrating. You know, they'd come back through to Liga and they had that really successful side that lost the title on the final day to Bordeaux, like we talked about in our first ever episode, and also made the final of the UEFA Cup one year. And then it just went completely downhill and he was there when that was happening. So that's, you know, it, that's a tough environment to start, to be in. And Marseille is known as it, it's got its own microclimate effectively for football. And then he moved on to Salonica, moved on to Bastia, which is also its own mm -hmm. specific red hot, feisty, fiery environment, good and bad. Um, before then moving to sort of bigger clubs with uh, with as as he was the long-time assistant for about 10 years to Alain Perrin. It, and uh, and again, yeah. moved to Pompey, you know, moved to Al Hayin. So, you know, kind of, like you say, eclectic. That dates back a little bit, but that also shows a man who's unafraid of of moving to different environments. Yeah. And also, it's, that's the other thing that stands out in the, his managerial career is how long he... Yeah, he learns his trade as a as as a as an assistant. No, I'm trying to think of an example. You know, sort of in UK comparisons, we've got John John Terry has been doing it for mm. for a while, and it always seems so odd. We're used to sort of these players, and and maybe you know because Getty wasn't at the caliber of someone like John Terry, but we're so used to players jumping straight into management now. Yeah, that actually, it's uh, it, 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 it seems like a long time to be. Mm. An assistant, and then to become a kind yeah. of an, an elite coach. But I think the success he's had at all his jobs so far suggests that this was uh, this was the right path for him. And, and it it's also it's interesting because it, like you say, it's very rare to see that. But it's also very rare to see assistants 
wanting to take on the role after this time and being successful at it. I mean, yeah. and, you know, it's not even a recent example, but just think of somebody like Sammy Lee when he took over at Bolton, right? right? right. I mean, <laughs> he was the continuity to Sam Allardyce, the guy who'd been there forever, knew the club inside out, was washed up within, you know, two weeks effectively. And I think there are probably other examples of that happening you know, long-term assistants who actually don't make the cut um, after, despite having all that background knowledge and even potentially institutional knowledge of the club. So he he really paid his dues, you know, 10 years with, with a manager, you know, Alain Perrin had a, had a big reputation in France that suffered after the Pompey, the mm -hmm. Pompey days, but he was a successful you know, he'd been successful before. He was successful when they came back to France at Sochaux. Um, he was successful at at Lyon, even though the players absolutely hated him. So, and, you know, we, we're going to talk about big egos, difficult dressing rooms, but that sort of end, end of term Lyon dressing room where key players like Chris uh -huh, Juninho yeah. etc were slowing down and unwilling to accept it uh, that sounds that is, familiar Beppo that's... yeah that's that's a difficult environment to be in right so I think what's what's fascinating about Galtier is before he even you know became a manager his coaching experience had encompassed so many different experiences so many different environments and he'd done it from straight after playing at 32 to his early 40s so it's a very unusual path effectively I think to what that's true and when and when when he sort of takes so when he takes over from Alain Perrin Saint-Étienne I suppose he's been as you say he's 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 been in coaching roles for a long time for a decade or so hmm. maybe a little bit longer um but he's still fairly young you know when he takes yeah. over the job so as you say he's in his early 40s and that, it's an interesting one for me because it's quite often you think of, you know, assistants and managers often leaving clubs together, you know. Yeah. Just in the, in the introduction, we were talking about Laurent Blanc and Gasset and people like that. But here, you know, apparently he really had the blessing of Alain Perrin mm. to, to take over the, the role at... Uh, Saint-Étienne, despite the fact that, you know, Alain Perrin had been made redundant, which is quite a sort of classy touch, I thought, by a guy who's often perceived as a little bit, uh, yeah, a bit kind of rigid, a bit cold, I yeah. imagine. Is that fair? Like the image, yeah. the image that we have a of Alain aloof. Perrin. A bit aloof, yeah, exactly. Mm. I, I think what's also impressive is that not only was he very classy about it, but he was also sort of saying he's exactly the right man to take over. Yeah. And, and that, you, you know, you could read that as, you know, a nice guy backing his long-term partner but actually again the environment he Galtier stepped in was he was the assistant to the manager they were really struggling they were in the relegation zone big historical clubs Saint-Étienne I know they're in Ligue 2 now but they remain one of the most famous clubs in France and one of the best supported clubs in France and he immediately had that legitimacy interestingly when he stepped in when that could have been an absolute recipe for disaster you know mm -hmm. uh, i've been part of the regime that sucks <laughs> you got rid of the figurehead yeah. i'm just the, the guy doing the work in the background and i'm going to take over and a lot of players could have turned around and said you're not really getting rid of the problem here yeah. you're just you know you're just falling into 
an easy solution that um, that will probably not work because why would we expect the assistant to the current manager for whom things have not worked out well and players might not necessarily be going along with him? Why why would we expect his assistant to to work out better? But you know it, he did an outstanding really did. job. Yeah, and I think it's easy to forget his time at Saint Etienne a little bit because of the amazing success that he has at Lille. But I, I, it is worth going through that time a little bit, no? Because it's it's the longest tenure that he's had. I think it's he's incredibly successful at Saint Etienne. Mm. Of course, you've got to compare with what the expectations were. But he has regular top ten finishes. I think he qualifies for Europe with them. He's there four times. For, Four yeah, times in multiple. seven and a half seasons. Yeah. And Saint-Étienne is, is a little bit, it's one of those hotbeds, right? I think certain teams are easier to manage than others. And I think Saint-Étienne certainly fits to me in the kind of, you know, the, the sort of the Marseille category, you know, the, the ones that are going to be yeah. uh, tough, t- tougher environments to be working in. And he yeah, does a phenomenal job there. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it does have its own microclimate. Like we've said for Marseille, there's there's... A fervor to to Saint Etienne, which isn't in a lot of places in France. In all honesty, it's a club that suffered a lot over the last and continues to suffer, but has suffered a lot over the last, you know, thirty five, forty years from the time in the seventies when they had incredible success, and and so that means that there's an enthusiasm followed by ambition, followed by expectations whenever they find themselves in the top flight with a slightly exciting team. Mm. And what Galtier did was rekindle that enthusiasm when he took over at Saint-Étienne. And as you said, you know, brought them, I think, seven consecutive seasons in the top 10, which for Saint-Étienne, I don't think it happened for decades. Brought them a Coupe de la Ligue, took them to Europe. You know, I remember them playing Man United in... Mm-hmm. in was it the UEFA Cup, and yeah. um, and you know, and they gave a really good account of themselves. And I remember the reaction from the British media was like, "Who, it, you know, what is this club, and who are these crazy fans that have brought one hundred atmosphere <laughs> at Old Trafford?" And and he did that, you know, with with again a, a common theme until his arrival at Nice, but with limited means at his disposal. And a heavy focus on relying on certain elders within the dressing room and having a lot of faith in youngsters um, and putting them in the spotlight and developing them and making them really, you know, making them really good players who moved on to to bigger and better things. You know, his list, even at Saint-Étienne, the list of players he developed there, some of which had arrived from other clubs, but that he took to another level. You know, is impressive. You look. You're talking yeah. about Blaise Matuidi. You know, who was always seen as a solid, you know, up and coming but limited defensive midfielder. You know, tr- you know, started developing in him into a more well-rounded midfielder. Dimitri Payet, who was seen as this luxury player, more more focused on flicks and tricks, developed him into a player that had more end product to his name, and that led to his move to Lille. You know, and then brought through players like Guy Lavogui, Kurt Zuma, mm-hmm. you know, and and, and kick started Obama Yang's career, really. So a really impressive job and doing that in a difficult context, but 
using ingredients that would make your your team likable to your fans as well, I think, which yeah. is quite interesting. And because a word that comes up a lot when we talk about Getty, I think it's sort of this idea of balance, no? So mm. balance on 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 the field, right? So can can you know it's not necessarily the most fluid, but it's controlled. But also, I guess, sort of balance in the dressing room, also, no? But mm. as you say, this kind of quite healthy mixture of, yeah, y- you know, yes, he's going to give confidence to younger players and develop them, but he's always going to have a core of of cadre, as people say in yeah. French, you know, as kind of key senior players that he can rely on to, to, to yeah, to, to provide the his message on the pitch, mm. to provide the kind of discipline, the values that he's keen to instill. And for someone who's, you know, identified as fiery, right? I mean, he's, mm-hmm. you know, he's from the South. <laughs> his education was Marseille. You know, that gives you a sense of yeah. someone being relatively hot-blooded without wanting to jump into stereotypes he's also somebody who brings his players along for the journey right so you see you know you see somebody like bielsa who whom he succeeded at lille bielsa turned up within two weeks they were playing there were players in what they called the loft who were training separately and bielsa decided he was never going to manage them right and you see that at different clubs or relationships truly break down between a manager and a player. In that aspect, Galtier's time at Saint-Étienne and then even later on at, at Lille feels like it's been relatively smooth sailing by mm-hmm. because players players buy into his methods, play, players buy into his demands and understand that it's going to take them someplace better. And that's because it does. <laughs> yeah. Um, and because he he allows them to develop with the understanding that they will go on to better and bigger things if they deliver. So there's, you know, that unwritten pact between manager and player that seems to seems yeah. to work well. And of course, that promise is easier to to, to make, and it is more likely to land when players are not already world class stars, right? And so that's yeah. the question: is what what kind of messages is he going to have to? to get the PSG players, right? Mm. Ballon d'Or winners, you know, World Cup winners to sort of to sort of go with him on that on that journey. But that I guess, maybe we 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 save that for for later in terms of whether we think uh, the appointment is likely to be successful, what might be the mm. determining factors. But let's talk about his time at Lille because this is essentially why he's gotten the PSG job, right? This is his biggest achievement yeah. in in his managerial career. I, I you know, arguably one of the biggest achievements in the last, you know, twelve. I mean, certainly since yeah. Montpellier won the title, right? I would argue. Yeah. Um. But so his his little side. So he he takes over in kind of in December of 2017 after Bielsa, as you were saying. So yeah. the team is somewhat in difficulty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, chaos. Yeah, total chaos. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, total chaos. As much yeah. as I love Bielsa, you got to say it for what it was. It was a total shit show. Yeah, and he, yeah, he he changes things quickly and he leads them to to great to great success in in all three of the seasons. No, so what is it? Second place, fourth Se- place. So yeah, so he saves them first and foremost because when he takes over. From Bielsa, and I can't remember who was Bielsa's, who the interim man was after Bielsa. He, you know, he t- 
takes it over the club and I think they're 17th, 18th and they're going nowhere and there's completely mm-hmm. disarray at the club. <laughs> you know, players playing out of position, you know, it's a loco. When it works, it's, it's wonderful. <laughs> when it doesn't, it's it's chaotic. So he takes them over and when he when he takes over, he's also, they're also in dire financial straits and I don't think they're allowed to recruit during the January transfer window. Well, they're certainly subject to, you know, um, inspections from the DN- DNCG, the French uh, financial football regulator. So he comes in and, and has tough an environment, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. But he saves them. I think they finished 17th, just, just above, barely saves them. But then from there on, it's just incredible consistency from a team that, that does have limited means. So, like you said, finishes second, finishes fourth his second season, but that's the season that's cut short due to COVID. So I think that was maybe after 26 games or so when it was stopped, 26, 28. So could have led them on to even better things. And then his final season, the unbelievable achievement of just winning the title. And they were an absolute roller coaster. Um, sorry, bulldozer over the second half of the season in particular. They just turned mm-hmm. in, in a similar way to what Leicester did. Not the not maybe not the same magnitude, but in the sense that it evolved from with Leicester it evolved from like oh this is funny to holy crap they they might actually yeah be, yeah. be in the run to oh they finished the season ten points ahead and and nobody's been able to catch them, you know. And that was the same thing with. With, with Lille, he did a tremendous job over three and a half seasons and really stabilized the club because behind the scenes, it wasn't just the, the Bielsa chaos, but it was also the Gerard Lopez, who's now the owner of Bordeaux, who unsurprisingly have been relegated and has, yeah. I was reading in the news today or yesterday, is being investigated by the tax authorities here for certain... Uh, interesting financial dealings between some of his companies uh, also happens to be a Tory donor, unsurprisingly. Um, so, you know, they were financially and the way it was structured behind, behind the scenes was, was not great at least, but he just kept that composure, kept everyone focused on the pitch and, and delivered wonderfully. And and again, you, you, you find in that title winning team, that combination of balance that we took with experienced heads right so Burak Yilmaz famously comes in mm. to become a sort of you know, a legend in one year at, at Lille you've got Fonte as their yeah. centre-back but being kind of um, yeah, surrounded by also young dy- dynamic players right so Icone yeah. on the wings Jonathan David uh, I'm sure I'm missing some out quite the young yeah. Silik the, the the right back yeah they're quite young but, so Mike Mignon in goal right so yeah. France's new 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 number one I get one of the because one of the re- reactions to his appointment at PSG is a is the fact that maybe he doesn't play the most kind of exciting exciting brand of football right so he's sort of known usually for the kind of 442 that's what mm. he plays mainly at Lille and later on at, at Nice I mean do you think that's a sort of fair accusation or not his te- his teams tend to be based if you look at it at least purely statistically on kind of very very strong defensive records 
Yeah, he's you know he plays a four four two with two wingers slash attacking midfielders, depending on which players are at his disposal. So on paper, it it looks it, it is an ambitious way of setting mm. up your team. I think, especially as four four two is incredibly difficult to set up in in the most you know in the recent era right play managers play play prefer three five two four two three one four three three you know yeah. but he's, you're sort of giving away the center of the pitch potentially yeah so but he's he you used the word balance earlier and i think that's what he strives for control and balance now not control in the sense of he wants 75 percent possession and and they're going to play tiki taka but in the sense of his players knowing their roles, playing, and maybe that's the criticisms, playing within their roles for the benefit of the team. I think there's a real drive from Galtier to say to his players, if you are going to play according to the instructions I give you, the team will benefit and things will work out Will work out well. And he hasn't been proven wrong, really, mm. uh, playing that system uh, acro- across his teams. Interestingly, I think he also looks for a really strong spine that is based on important partnerships. So at at Lille, you know, you mentioned Fonte. Fonte was partnering Botman, who mm-hmm. physically and maybe even technically is better, but need, you know needs someone to mentor him throughout. And it was a it's a mutually beneficial partnership in mm-hmm. the same way that it was between Burak Yilmaz and Jonathan David. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in the yeah. middle of the park between Benjamin André, who's a, an experienced, you know, level-headed league midfielder, who's also very good, and the likes of Renato Sanchez, right, who's more hot-blooded, yeah. might roam a bit more. So it, it's about having that structure and and players relying upon each uh, on each other. And, and that's worked. That's worked great. Is he rigid? That is potentially a fair criticism, um, but but it's you know it's difficult to be rigid when when it's working so well. I mean, you know, you're you're rigid if you have to change something dramatically, and he rarely has to change something dramatically because his teams are so well prepared. Yeah. We we all remember the, the Mourinho years for Chelsea, where it was like, oh, he subbed off Joe Cole at halftime, but that was happening once every full moon because the rest of the time it was. His four three three was set up. Nothing was changing, and it was working right. So, yeah. the hard work starts with Galtier on the training pitch, in in making sure his team is really well drilled and really well organized. Yeah, I like those idea of those exactly those little relationships on the pitch actually representing his kind of more broad philosophy about the dressing room. I hadn't quite thought about that with that lead team, but that's exactly right. Knows that throughout the core of the side, you've got. Young dude, old dude. Young dude, old dude. Yeah. Young dude, old dude. And and even at Nice, we've seen that, right? So yeah. Dante, Dante at centre back, uh, with Todibo, who's a who's a young up and coming player. Kefren Turam, who's obviously who's performed really well in central midfield, being partnered sometime with Lemina, who's obviously experienced, and up top, you know, I think that's where they've been missing. They've been missing something a little mm. bit. But you still have Andy Delors, who's an experienced player with Casper Dolberg, right? Who's still quite young. So again, yeah. I think he likes that. He likes that mix. Combination. And th- in theory, in Paris, he's going to have a, you know, Paris have a great uh, centre de formation and there are yeah. plenty of old players there. So. 
<laughs> he'll have a chance to, to to replay that. Let's talk very, I mean, very briefly his time at Nice. Obviously, he's had one season there. It strikes me that it's it's the first time maybe he hasn't had a out of the park success. You know, I would call it a par. So, mm. final of one of the cups. They started really 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 well but given maybe that also this is the first time that he's really had money to spend or at least he's been at a club that has spent money um yeah it's, it strikes me that maybe they could have achieved a little bit a little bit more i don't know how do you view his time at nice i would call it sort of a it's almost like a par i would say yeah i i agree with you i think he's it's the first time he hasn't exceeded expectations. Right. So, yeah. But he hasn't been underwhelming either in terms of the results. I mean, they finished fifth. They were one minute away from finishing fourth. If Ren uh, hadn't equalized in the last minute in the final game, they, um, they, I think they were second over the Christmas break. And this is where the disappointment comes from. But, but with Gelti, you have to look at normally as a long-term investment. Year one mm-hmm. is stabilizing stabilizing the the squad and that means being very solid difficult to beat the following years are meant to be where people really settle into their roles and you buy players that fit those roles and it becomes a little bit more expansive so didn't exceed expectations but where were Nice expecting to finish I mean they finished fourth or fifth basically you've got PSG Lyon and Marseille who have bigger means Lyon obviously massively underperformed. And then you've got clubs like Rennes who spent a lot of money and have spent it wisely. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, performing performing really well. And Monaco, sorry, and I forgot Monaco who always have means at the disposal. So I think there was a lot of enthusiasm at the start of the year, but that was maybe misplaced. And I never saw them finish second, frankly. Third would have been gettable, but for them to finish fourth or fifth isn't isn't a disaster, you know, far from it. And you, do, we do see a continuation of some of those themes, which is wherever he goes, you get young players that develop. No, then I think you've mentioned them already, right? But Amingouri, Turam, Atal, you know, again, even with a team with kind of more money at his disposal, he's still kind of bringing these these young players. Yeah, these young there's players a through. there's a real. You do get a real sense that players progress under him and that's obviously not just down to him i'm sure he has a really good staff but you do you do get the sense that they focus the attention to detail is really high i think and and they work hard on a training ground you i i've very rarely seen one of his teams turn up onto a pitch and be completely tactically outfoxed and Mm. and uh and blown off the park right so i think that is there is a certain credit to that. Making your team competitive in any match isn't isn't necessarily easy to do, and he's managed that wherever he's gone. Yeah, let's let's talk about Paris. <laughs> what are your thoughts? It's interesting to me that the, the the reaction I thought has been pretty pretty mixed in in France, and I was quite mm. surprised by that a, a little bit in the sense that, of course, a lot of the problems that people talk about about PSG and they're plenty right but one of them certainly is that is that the team just doesn't represent the region anymore at all right it doesn't oh. feel like a French team at all if it was t- totally kind of cosmopolitan uh, international it doesn't feel like a French side and you know bringing uh, the most f- successful French coach 
uh, you know, arguably of the last past 10 years, she seems like quite a kind of, um, yeah, sort of logical, logical step really in that, in that mission to maybe make Piersier a bit more French again, a bit more mm. linked to its origins, even if, if, if Getty isn't necessarily from, from the region. Yeah, I think there's a bit of snobbery in there, and yeah. and he follows he follows a path. He's a fork in the road in a way, you know. I mean, they obviously had Laurent Blanc for a number of years, but Laurent Blanc had been manager for France, and this was the early part of the PSG project, right? After that, you know, it was sort of the it was sort of the hot shots of hot names of European football, Unai Emery, you know, outstanding yeah. at Sevilla, Thomas Tuchel, the new Jurgen Klopp, you know, it was, it was a case of we're going to go poach the, the manager that everybody would dream of that's on the market. And in this case, that would probably be the case for France, but it doesn't have an international flavor. And I think that's where the snobbery slightly kicks in is, the club and its fans don't look at Ligue 1 as an actual competition they should bother with. So why <laughs> would I bother? Why would I bother hiring a coach from that competition who also whose team this season hasn't exactly set the world alight in terms of the way they play? Yeah. That's that's the that's the quick and dirty look at Galtier from a lot of people at the moment. But because those analogies are good ones, no? Because if you were to do the comparison, you would say it's a little bit like the manager of Dortmund winning the Bundesliga, no? And then go, yeah, that's that's the equivalent of his achievement with Lille, no? Yeah, and then if it, not know, even Dortmund, it'd be like, <laughs> Monkey, you know, yeah. I mean, with all due respect to Lille, what would it be? It'd be, I mean, you'd say maybe Leverkusen, right? Yeah, you know, it, 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 yeah, exactly. And if exactly if there was a kind of yeah a German coach from Leverkusen who would who had won the Bundesliga, you would think that he would be the yeah, the toast of Europe on every kind of top club's wish and list. It's, and it's interesting because Stahl, I think, has a, has a part to play in it. But let's also not kid ourselves. When Mourinho, I don't know why I keep coming back to Mourinho, but I think there are quite a lot of similarities, actually, in the sense they like structure, especially young yeah. Mourinho, right? Um, when Mourinho was brought over to Chelsea, it's not like, Chelsea looked at it and said, I'm bringing him because he's bringing Samba football to... We also, how they played in the Champions League, they were extremely successful because he had drilled them to a wonderful extent and and he still allowed some fantasy players to play. You know, it was the best, I mean, the best of Mourinho at the start. But, you know, it... it so now people people expect a certain style, expect... And at PSG, I think they fancy themselves as we have to play a certain way. But I just find it interesting that it's it's the snobbery. I think it is snobbery towards somebody who's in a league that doesn't matter anymore to them. And we saw that with the reaction of the fans when they won the title and they, they just did a protest outside the stadium and didn't celebrate with the players, which is complete nonsense. Yeah. Um, and so so that's that's why it has felt like an underwhelming appointment to many, but he shares a lot of the qualities that, you know, pushed uh, PSG to hire somebody like Pochettino in the first place. Yeah. And it's always, to me, it's always intriguing when, yeah, a manager who's really, who is massively 
overachieved with a you know a so-called smaller club mm. gets his first real taste of of an elite club. it's always, it's always exciting right you know who were the yeah. other names being linked with just because it's new because the kind of merry-go-round of the managers at the at the, the top clubs right so Pierce were linked with Conte with Zidane we we have a much clearer idea of what that would have looked like had it gone through you know where's yeah. where's here we of course we have some signs but we just it's new you know it's a bit like when you know Klopp went to Dortmund from Mainz or something you know that when the yeah. when the step up happens what are, are they going to are they going to nail it is it going is the scale of the club going to to be too much for them it's it yeah. seems it seems actually to me more exciting than some of the other names than were that that, that were mooted for the job apps I, I mean absolutely yeah, i couldn't agree more and and also at some point somebody the person who should take the role is somebody who should deserve it. <laughs> mm. And you can't say that Galtier over the last 10 years in French football doesn't deserve a shot at a big job. And that's the biggest job in the country. I mean, you know, people now are a little bit in football, are a little bit obsessed about the, sometimes the identity of the manager. Where does he come from? As mm -hmm. in, does he have a link with the club? Or where where has he done his apprenticeship? You know, what what made Mikel Arteta the right, the undoubted right candidate for Arsenal with no experience? You know, so why why are we looking at somebody who's actually delivered? Is still a young manager. Uh, why are we looking at that appointment as underwhelming and and disappointing? I think that's that's where I share the frustration. Yeah, is at some point. At some point, you either, you know, you uh, what are you going to do? You're just going to pigeonhole a successful manager to, you, you're going to unilaterally decide that the highest he can reach is the like of Nice. That just seems, that's disappointing to me, potentially, yeah. to have that mentality. I do, I, and I do think a big thing that what Paris needs at the moment is to, to reckon. To reconnect somehow with its fans, mm. so it's it's a little bit like the, the you know the England job maybe post Hodgson or something like that where you just felt like the relationship was was broken and actually the things that Gelcher stands for and represents right which are just kind of seriousness, uh, hard hard work, you know, passion, all, all these passion, yeah, pa passion exactly all these values that the, uh, the PSG fans say are totally lacking in the current team, yeah, things that he he represents that he was brought to his side and so in terms of kind of bringing the relationship back with the fans i think actually this could be a pretty decent appointment i mean what so some of the arguments used against him i don't know what you think of these mm. ones so one is of managing stars mm. right he's never you know dimitri payet at saint-etienne is, is something but Messi and Neymar <laughs> is, yeah. is something else. That's one argument. Yeah. The second one is Champions League. Mm -hmm. So he's uh, he's done it one season and it's been a disaster. Now, admittedly, this was yeah second season. Lille, sorry, you know. But uh, oh wait, when did when did? This... Sorry, that's when they finished second. Yeah. And he, yeah, and so that's when I think he had a, a quite a poor record. They got knocked out in the in the group yeah. stage or whatever. So. I mean, what what do you think of those? I mean, I think the first one. What's how is he different to Tuchel? Yeah, 
you come from Dortmund. Yeah, great. You've managed Aubameyang who never turns up to training. And apart from that, it's just, it's a bunch of 23 and under. Yeah. 23 years and under who still follow the rules. Yeah, that's real tough compared to going to manage Neymar who unilaterally yeah. decides to attend the Rio Carnival every year because of an injury between end of December and mid-January, you know, <laughs> that's, so true, you know, yeah. what's, what's, what's the difference? What, yeah. why was that? that, what was that Emery, Pochettino. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think that's, that would be my response. If I were really defensive for Galtier, which I'm not trying to be, but I think I'm being fair and reasonable in saying, I don't see how that argument is fair towards him because you would have made the same argument towards towards Tuchel and and some of his predecessors yeah, and that's true yeah and to be fair maybe maybe that argument was made about Tuchel when he joined I just cannot recall it that's that's also maybe fair on the second one I mean I think if you're good enough it will work you know it, so what he what he needs is the legitimacy when he when he joins in so will the players see him as a legitimate appointment that's what matters after that, winning the Champions League. I mean, Pep Guardiola hasn't won it for about 10 years. Nobody doubts that he's still a very good manager. You know, uh, you know, a lot of managers... I mean, I'm stating maybe a ridiculously stupid thing, but a lot of great managers don't win the Champions League. That's okay. Yeah, <laughs> that, that doesn't diminish how good they are, you know. So, um, and there's only one... And again, I mean, a massive cliche, but there's only one team that wins it in the end, yeah? Mm. So I think if there's if there's progress, if there's a sense that they play good football and they they're here and there about, um, you know he he's not going to suffer. Where they've suffered is the fact they've when they have been eliminated recently, because uh, we shouldn't forget they went to the final not that long ago. Mm-hmm. When they have been eliminated in recent years, and it's been through a sheer collapse of any sense of organization within the team two remontadas in what yeah. three or four years that's that's what rankles it's not going out it's yes. looking like a fool on the pitch that's what rankles with fans yeah yeah there's a good there's a yeah there's good good point i mean one because one of the things you talked earlier about how he he he's tended to use all the players at his disposition right right? not antagonizing players and certainly this is probably going to be necessary here because yes whilst there's this uh, stories coming out around the blacklist of psg and and 10 players that they want to get rid of i think beppo you've actually created it (laughs) we did it yeah we did it yeah what was it (laughs) you want to go through it quickly yeah so i mean it's it's either donnarumma or navas in goal i think we know which one it would be it's most likely navas (laughs) although don't put it past PSG to sell their 24-year-old goalkeeper to keep, right. <laughs> to keep the 36-year-old one like by the dressing room instead. Um, then we're looking at a wonderful back four of Tito Kerrer, 40 million euros, Ramos, 40 million in wages, probably, Abdou Diallo, and Kozawa, who's probably 29, but has been on semi-retirement for about 18 months. Um, and then a wonderful midfield of... Um, Useless Argentine Leandro Paredes, who I think cost about 40 or 50 million. <laughs> a notorious homophobe, Idris Oganovier. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, kind of a man who happens to be there, Ander Herrera, who I think in 20 years' time, everyone will have forgotten about, and somebody will mention him. You'll go, Who did he play for? And you look him up and you go, 
he spent a combined how many years at Man United and PSG? (laughs) (laughs) And then up top, you know, Draxler, 45 million euros, still only 28, has looked disinterested for about three years. Um, Icardi, whose love life is more important to him than his football, which is maybe actually the right thing to look at life, but it's disappointing when you spend about 60 million and are paying him a fortune and he doesn't look half-assed. And then, and then Neymar, who, of course, has been sort of. I was reading an article where I think he was automatically extend his contract was automatically extended by a year because I think they won the title or something like that. <laughs> Unbelievable clauses. So he's yeah. now. I think he's like now until twenty twenty five or twenty twenty six, um, and who's a fragile player. Now that's maybe because he does get, you know, hit a lot. That is fair. I think his his you know life ethic has also come into question um his professionalism let's put it that way um and then we had to we had to mention a super sub in genie vinaldum send him back to Klopp, please <laughs> so yeah i mean the the size of the task that awaits him cannot be minimized you yeah. know but it's, in some ways, it's it's more and because one other reason to be a bit optimistic is, of course, his re he's going to be reunited with Luis Campos, who was the sporting oh. director at Lille at the time of the title the title win. But it strikes me that actually, the guy who's got a the biggest job on his hands is him. Is is yes. one thing to identify talent to bring to a club is quite another to manage to to flog some of these assets so you know i wish him good luck but ultimately given the wages that these guys are on it's going to be really really hard to find buyers and 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 the leagues that used to be like you know where the silly money used to be you know yeah mls china they're not they're not doing that anymore so but if if he's i think a decision has to be made at the club is do you want to to provide your manager with a healthy dressing room mm. and, and a squad that makes sense. If so, you're literally going to have to pay teams to take your players. That's how mm-hmm. it's going to work. It's going to mm-hmm. be sending Icardi on loan to Inter whilst paying 98% of his wages. You know, it's that kind of deal. But that's a decision that a team with unlimited means can make. It'll be, mm. It's a question of whether they, they want to make it. Um, and you're hopeful that you know, you're hopeful for Galtien Campos' sake that that they will back back him. I mean, the fur, further away Nasser Al Khalifi is from making any sort of football related decision, the healthier this club will be. So, <laughs> if you if, if you take that into consideration and you empower the people who are meant to be making the the difficult football decision and you give them the means, then then there's progress to be made but this isn't going to happen overnight over the over this summer's transfer window it's going to happen you have you're going to have to give this man at, with campos at least a year because otherwise there's no point in hiring a manager like christophe galtier who's who's no who's always worked on the long term his clubs or you know mid to long yeah, term yeah 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 and and I think we're yeah we're landing in a more kind of optimistic space than a lot of the commentary around the the appointment. And the other thing that I think I'm positive is that I think it's going to be a good. It's one thing to see whether it's good for Paris. I think it will be good for for him. It will give him. He'll win titles f- for sure. 
it'll give him some extra prestige that will maybe then allow him to move to to other to to other large clubs and i think the success that psg managers that were seen to have failed somehow after leaving paris you know tuchel being the most obvious example but you know emery also i would argue Mm. Uh, i I think i think i think um show that you know not winning the champions league at psg you know is not is not the end of your yeah of your career and i think i'm hoping that this can be a, a a success at paris and b even if it's not quite considered such it can you know play, really elevate Galtier to be talked about in kind of different different yeah in a way that actually he deserved to be talked about already uh- Absolutely. I mean, do I want Galtier to be successful? Yes, in a way, because well, even though I'm not, you know, I'm not wedded to, to Galtier, I don't, I'm a bit neutral towards him, but do I want a hardworking, successful French manager to have gone up through the ranks and be successful and be recognized for that work? Yes, ideally, I want, I, I would want that. Um, now, the good thing for him is that it's going to give him greater visibility. It's never going to be an utter disaster because the quality of the players at his disposal means that at least in the league like you said he will be there or thereabouts I mean Pochettino won a title convincingly and and he's meant to be the worst manager that he's <laughs> had since you know since whatever so um, so at, at worst for Galtier his name will be out there even if it doesn't go well he will always have suitors at least in France because people will say this is a very specific environment PSG are a very weird club which they are with completely outsized expectations, which they have, and players who do not fit that mold, which they also have. And I think a lot of smart owners, if things don't go well for Galtier, will say, not the right fit, but the only time in 12 years of being a manager that it's gone wrong. Then you've, got, you've still got a... And you'll have a man who will probably be willing to change his ways if it doesn't, if it doesn't go right. So somebody will... even the worst case scenario for him still ends up being not not a success but it doesn't end up damaging his his reputation i think which is good so it's a bit of a no i think a bit of a no-brainer for him and i think we're quite excited to see actually what what kind of step up he can make when dealing with 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 this side but uh Beppo, I think we'll leave it there. It's been a, a pleasure to do a more reactive kind of classic with yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, uh, nice change. Some, some more going going forward, but yeah, thank you for listening. This has been Le Classique, and we've been reflecting on Galtier as the new PSG manager. Uh-huh.